Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. All right, so we don't have to stay after the show and watch the uh, slide presentation. Right. Tell us how how Paris was, you hanging out with all those beret-wearing, cheese-eating surrender monkeys. Well, you know what? I I just feel like they don't appreciate Americans at all. Well, that's just in. (laughs) You needed to go to Paris to recognize that? (laughs) No, I mean, we went to, um, well, my son's in Georgia Tech, Mertz. So that's about four, it's northeast France. So it's mm-hmm. near Luxembourg, and you know, um, it was it was. What did I say? I'm glad to be home. I mean, I just feel like we're not appreciated, we're not loved. That whole debacle with uh, Biden calling Macron, uh, we're using a, what was the guy's name that's dead had been dead for thirty years? Mitterrand. Mitterrand, yeah, yeah. Francois yeah. Mitterrand. That mm-hmm. that did not. Uh, that was funny. That was like a big joke in France when we were there, because yeah. they're like, "Oh, your president, he's he's oh, our president's dead." <laughs> the one that he thinks that he's talking to. Um, but, yeah, no, it was good. It was very emotional because we went to visit um, World War One sites. We went to World War One really? cemeteries. We went to Verdun. Yeah. I'm probably butchering Verdun. that. Verdun yeah. or Verdun. Um, we went to San Mihel American Cemetery. We went to the French and the German cemeteries. And um, they should appreciate us more because we saved a lot of their towns during World War One. Because uh-huh. if they got if they sacrificed Verdun, then they would have gotten Paris. Uh-huh. So we helped stop that. So it was very it was emotional. And then Bones of the Unknown, which is underneath the one of the chapels there, that was very graphic. And it was reminded all those boys, those young Georgia Tech boys, like you guys, don't let history repeat itself. P- 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 uh, Pointu Hawk didn't get there. No, I did not. Hmm. All right. So it was, um, nice. it was, it was great though. It was, and then my, I went to go see my friends in the Netherlands. So we drove up there, and that was. Uh, well, you go to, you go to, Dutch. you go to, you go to. I mean, you're probably not going back anytime soon. I don't know how long I mean, is Peyton going to be there. No, just for a few more months. But no, I'm not going uh, back. <laughs> well, I, you know, I would think, you know, boy, you got to make a, you got to make a point to see Normandy, right? Yeah, but that's it's that's southern France. That was far away. I was not yeah. about to drive down well, there. But we did see what we saw. Didn't you have? Didn't you have like a a phalanx of uh, attendance? Uh, you know, it's like a convoy that moved from location to location with you and Peyton. <laughs> no, we didn't have that. You didn't have a. Did you? Did you have a driver? Do you have a designated? No, driver? I drove. You're doing it yourself. I, I drive. I love, when I go to Europe, I drive. I rent a car and I drive, and then I take the train a lot too because I want to see what their public transportation systems like, and mm-hmm. it's so clean. That is one thing. Europe is clean, and I felt safe the entire time. Mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. opposed to this morning, I go what about to... the no go zones in and around Paris? Um, you, I didn't you, go in any of those. Yeah, well, there yeah, you go because it's a no go zone. But it was, um, and the Netherlands is beautiful, and Luxembourg is gorgeous, and there's no garbage anywhere. You know, like uh, people take you... care of them. People take care 
of the land that they live on. Any uh, restaurant recommendations? Did you run into any of the yellow-vested revolutionaries? I mean, how about some color here? No, I didn't. I didn't. I saw one sign that was anti-Macron sign, and that was it. Mm-hmm. That that was it. And we went, you know, we were in the farm fields. like We were driving on the highway, and there was, I think, that, you know, they won. They got what they wanted, and that was it. They, got, they can use the pesticides that they want, and they're going to keep producing cattle and steer, and they're going to keep farming and feeding the world. And they're not going to listen to this, you know, mambo-jumbo about the climate. Um, uh, the Loire Valley, Burgundy, any any wine country excursions? No. I was such, you would, you would have been was, so embarrassed. I was this is, this a tag-along. Sort of boring. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was a tag-along. Because it was for um, Peyton's creative writing in the history class. The two teachers came together and they went on a tour to these, you know, German and French cemeteries and then... Verdun and then the forts surrounding Verdun. We went to see that. Um, and I completely tagged along. I followed in a car behind the bus. <laughs> uh huh. But I learned something. I mean, I learned a lot. So it was uh, very interesting. The American cemeteries in France are beautiful. The Germans chose to use for their, to bury their dead, they have black crosses. And we have white crosses. And our cemeteries are very pristine compared to theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you went to the Netherlands? Mm-hmm. Do were you there to witness that former Dutch prime minister and his wife do a double suicide? No. What happened? What? Yeah. What well, the the ninety? You know, the Netherlands is one of those countries that loves to kill its own people. The right uh-huh. to die. Actually, there's legislation now introduced in Illinois. We'll talk about it later. But yeah, and a former Dutch prime minister Van Act and his wife, both ninety three, did a, a joint uh, quote unquote death with dignity. You weren't there for that? No, I was not there for that. Did you go to the red light district and get a prostitute? No, I've done that before. I've seen that. But we were in Utrecht, my uh, best friend in the world, and she's very liberal, and it was very hard because we, I was trying. I have not brought up Biden once in the past two days, so why do you keep bringing up Trump? Please, just stop. She said, well, you're not going to vote for Trump, are you? And I said, yeah, I am. Mm -hmm. And I gave her the three reasons why. Inflation. Number one, he's going to invade the Netherlands and take it over. (laughs) No, they actually think that he won't because of the comedy made about NATO. Yeah, right. You know, they actually think that he's going to let Russia invade Poland. So that's not going to happen. Life was more livable. We we didn't have an invasion at our border. We weren't in two wars. And that's why I'm voting for Trump. Did you uh, go to, uh, you know, did you do the Eiffel Tower thing, the Louvre? What did what did Michael Jordan call it? The the Louvre or something? Uh, what uh, did you do? <laughs> no, that? I didn't do any. I've been to Paris. Before, no, no so art. Like, no art. No, I've oh, you've been to before. Paris before. Oh, yeah, you I have. lived in Saint Sebastian. I was an exchange student um, back in the nineties. Oh, so so this not is an exchange this is, student, but I this mean, is Peyton continuing the Jacobson legacy, right? But these these kids, I told them too. I go, you guys have it so good because we didn't have cell phones back then. We didn't have email. We actually had to write letters. You know, to our family members and to our loved ones and friends, and we would, I would wait by the mailbox every week, hoping I'd get a letter from home. And then, if you were lucky, you can get a calling card and call on Sundays. You go to a payphone. I said, "You guys, I mean, I could FaceTime you right now from anywhere in the world, and we can instantly connect." So you guys have got it really good. What was the um, What was the weather like? Oh, it was awful. It rained every day. <laughs> was it Was it warm? No, it was cold and rainy the whole time. Oh. Well, the good news there is you don't have to see the the women in their their <laughs> armpit hair, <laughs> right? Not a lot of good looking women in France. That part of France, but then when oh, we went boy. to the Netherlands, whoo, those people are gorgeous. Those are fighting words. Oh, uh, they are. 
Don in Cincinnati, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Amy, welcome back. Amy, Amy, Amy. Very done. Very done. Very yeah, done. Yeah, I, I tried. I, I just give up, Don. Very done. I know. Yeah, just Verdun, Verdun, Verdun is what you see. But uh, just, just, just let it go, Don. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I will. And not to be more on the point, but I'm not sure what France you went to, Amy. But I've been there on multiple occasions, been all over the country, and I've been treated with respect and kindness and and welcoming. And in Normandy, which is in western France, not southern France. Sorry. Americans are. Thank you again. And Americans are worshipped. As well as we should be. So, yes. Yes. Amy, go back, take your time, get a map, and do it right. And I don't blame you. Amy, it's okay. I don't blame you. I blame her, Hershey High School. You guys have a good day. Yeah, yeah very good, Don. <laughs> Thanks for the cost. True. It's another uh, cautionary tale about the government school system. There's no question about it. Uh, Mary Kay, Western Springs. Hey, Amy, I'm so glad you're back. Um, uh, so I wondered how your babble... What, is, what does that mean? Is it like you're relieved I'm not left to my own devices? What, what do you, is that no, a no, shot? No, I just oh, like you're talk. better as a duo. I like oh, you. Oh, I see. Yes, okay. I like you. All right. No, like, I like you both. Like, right, like Captain without Daniil. I got it. Sonny without Okay. So I took six years of French, and I've never been to France, and I have really no desire to go. And, um, you know, we've been to Ireland. My husband hated it there because... Everybody the Irish, because like... everybody was Irish. Yeah, I understand. Because everybody was drunk. No, I'm just kidding. No, Everyone, no, we don't. I mean, even you don't get it. You don't get You don't get enough Irish around Chicago, for God's sake. The only reason I to go to Ireland is to play like golf. I'm, yeah, it's true. Uh-uh, I'm no professional Irish person. Never have been. My dad, you're an American. We're no, you're not Irish. We didn't partake in all that stuff when we were kids. We didn't have shamrocks in our windows or. Here in sweaters, we my my parents weren't into that stuff. Did you did That's everybody play the bagpipes before dinner? <laughs> <laughs> they do all over Keystone Avenue when they had the, the yeah. freaking St. Patrick's yeah. Day parade. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's awful. But you know, we're gonna get to Italy because that's. You know, my That's husband's beautiful. all Italian, and I, yeah, I want to go there, and we're not going to any of the, um, I don't want to go to the Vatican, I don't want to go to those places because we hate crowds. We want to go somewhere, you know, beautiful, and like the Louvre or whatever, what did Jordan <laughs> the call it? The I, I, Yeah, Jordan, Jordan tried to sound it out phonetically, and it didn't, it didn't go well, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see the Mona Lisa. It's a small little painting. Like, I don't care. Plus, it's covered in soup. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, gosh. Well, no reason to spend all that money and go um, to um, any. I'm not going to France. We we have a, my husband hates French people. You know, not hates, hates, but he's like, oh, armpits. Oh, well, hey, where does your husband like to? He doesn't like Ireland. He doesn't like the French. Where does he like to go? He doesn't like, he doesn't like to to Italy. That's where he just wants to go, go to Italy. Amy, yeah, what, I understand. You just said the women in Netherlands were beautiful. Oh, yeah. And why did they look like you? Yeah, exactly. Oh, you. oh yeah. yeah. Everybody was really tall. And... In the mirror, right? Oh, exactly. Yes. The judge. I think it's beautiful. Sure. That's wonderful. And then when I was in Ireland, I'm like, everybody here looks familiar. I did not want to hang there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was not 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 a place for me. My uh, my late brother got married there, and that was the only way, you know, I was ever going to really go. I'm not. I don't want to. I'm I'm not a like world traveler. No, I don't want to. That's right. your homebody. Right, well, okay. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, All right. But it that's, was clean, yeah. and pe- not everybody was rude. But just they do not speak English, so every conversation right. started like, 
Bonjour. Parlez-vous anglais? Bonjour. Bonjour. Right. Everybody was yeah. sing song happy. Yeah. You know. Parlez-vous yeah, don't don't like this. They don't. Yeah, they don't like us. You know. I mean, so that's what my husband. No, said. that's not what uh, Johnny Fever like in Cincinnati said. He said he was treated with uh-huh. respect, well, especially in Normandy. Well, which Normandy, is I'm sure it's a different story. Well, yeah. Right. No, I'm done. I can see everything on the internet now. You can just sure. Why let, why ever leave your welcoming community of Western Springs? You have the internet. <laughs> you and Heidi Rudolph yeah. or yeah. whatever her I name do. is can I hang, hang out and get out of here. Yeah. I do. I do. All this right. is insane that I even live here. I gotta get out. You know that's right. I don't know. Right. I don't know if Naples is the right place. I don't know where, but not here. You know, yes. somewhere in the United States. Naples, Florida, not Naples, Italy. That's not a part of Naples you want to uh, visit. Hawaii, Kanapali, play golf till I die. You know that. Would Hawaii, be, you know. yeah, Hawaii's good. Yeah. Except for the socialists. Yeah, all, yeah. Thanks yeah. for the call, Mary Kay. Appreciate it. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So, uh, on Sunday, uh... A rare, quote-unquote, workday for the United States Senate. Uh, Senators uh, convened to uh, take a procedural vote to get one step closer to passing a $95 billion foreign aid bill with assistance for Ukraine, for Israel, for Ukraine again, humanitarian aid, uh, for um, uh, Gaza, um, you know, um, Gaza and the United Nations Relief and Works Agency that has been the front for uh, Hamas, basically. Oh, oh, what is this tunnel system right below our headquarters? Oh, when did this know. get here? Uh, it's just it's it's really, really remarkable stuff. Ninety five billion dollars. So uh, a lot of uh, impassioned speeches and barbs being uh exchanged over the last 48 hours uh, on Sunday. And, and I just want to get to what I think the issue is, because, the, you know, the you'll hear from Rand Paul momentarily, the whole 60 billion dollars. 60 billion dollars. Oh, we're bankrupting the country. Yeah, we're bankrupting the country, but it has very little to do with foreign aid. 
I mean, I get opportunity costs and 60 billion is 60 billion and it could be put to higher, better uses. I get that argument. But in the grand scheme of things, 60 billion represents 1% of federal outlays in FY 2023. So, I mean, let's get real about the, the uh, scope and spend of our federal government and all of the uh, spend that is in the hundreds of billions, in point of fact, trillions that we ignore, that we don't want to discuss, that we bob and weave around. So, I mean, there's something else going on with respect to this Ukraine aid, and we'll get to it. But, I mean, one example of what's going on is nicely presented by Mitt Romney, uh, who is essentially, as far as I can tell, the spokeshuman for the 19 Quisling Republicans that support other federal largesse like Biden's backdoor green energy, you know, Green New Deal bill that they called infrastructure. I mean, I'm sure the Venn diagram is a perfect circle than the 19 and the 19. Here's what uh, Romney said on the Senate floor Sunday. The vote we will soon take to provide military weapons for Ukraine is the most important vote we will ever take as United States senators. Um, really? The most important vote you'll ever take as United States Senator is a vote to send another $60 billion to Ukraine? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. We also have our text line fired up and ready to go, 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. But see, that sort of speechifying is illustrative of something, which is you don't get an explanation, you don't get an argument, you get the high hat from these internationalist senators like Mitt Romney. The, you know, if you don't do this, then you're not a good American. You're a Putin sympathizer or worse. Look, I don't have to just you just I don't have to explain it to you. You know, just do it. Just support it. And if you don't, you're not a good person. The moralizing you're accustomed to from the left. Well, I mean, Mitt Romney is often found in that neighborhood, isn't he? So that, that gives you a sense of the attitude. And and again, the tubing of the Senate immigration bill and the um, expected response from Speaker Johnson in the House, which is this $95 billion foreign aid bill isn't going anywhere. And they press on anyway. As Josh Howley described it. My goodness, we have enough money to make hundreds of millions of dollars of our taxpayer funds available to the private sector in Ukraine. We are now literally funding their businesses, their banks, Lord knows what. We've got money without end. We've got enough money to pay for bureaucrat salaries. We've got enough money to pay for Ukrainian government officials' pensions. We've got enough money for so-called humanitarian aid that gets funneled away from, siphoned off into any manner of corrupt uses. We won't know because we don't have a special inspector general to oversee this money, but that's a different story. Oh, no, we've got plenty of money. And I have listened carefully, carefully, to colleague after colleague of mine come to this floor and stand where I am now and say, it's so important that we spend this money 
on these overseas wars, we must spend the money. If we don't spend this money now, why, it may cost us more money in the future. No, it's, it's imperative. It's imperative that we spend this money. Meanwhile, these same people turn to the citizens of Missouri and say, you're not worth a dime. They say, you can't have a penny. They turn to the residents of Kentucky and Tennessee and Alaska and New Mexico and Arizona and Utah and Texas, and they say, we don't care that you were poisoned. We don't have a dime for you. We have unlimited money for Ukraine. We're going to rebuild the borders of Ukraine. That's in this bill, but we don't have anything for you. Well, I mean, anything. It's a little bit of a stretch. Um, the uh, being bribed with your own money happens by the federal government in all 50 states. So let's get real about that. But uh, Holly is on to something, too. It's this sort of the middle finger to middle America, which is, look, good, you have to comply with our priorities. And we don't necessarily have to pay much attention to yours. It's not about the 60 billion. Because, I mean, that, that you know, these numbers are uh, generally unfathomable. And um, and again, in context, they become even less compelling. It's about the attitude and Holly was getting to that. Because think about it another way. If I was to make the argument for Ukraine support, additional Ukraine support. And not be a douchebag about it like Mitt Romney. What I would say is this. Look, you have I, I, it's not maybe it's not what. uh it's not your priority or it's but but think about it in this way if um america was invaded by a, a foreign adversary you would go to war and fight to save your country and you'd want help from anyone you could get it wouldn't you right it would be red dawn time so we're in a position to help ukraine fighting for their country, whether you think that fight is futile or not, we're in a position to help Ukraine, a relatively modest amount, given our, the size and, and scope of our government and the wealth that we have in this country, to uh, uh, assist them in fighting for their homeland the same way that you would fight for America if we were invaded. Now, to, to me, like something like that, an appeal like that, well, again, whether you uh, support it or don't, but at least it's an appeal that gives you uh, perspective on it. You know, put yourselves in in the shoes of Ukrainian patriots, patriots, rather than you know the focus on this very complicated and and flawed figure that is Zelensky. Um, but but nobody does that because they don't feel the need to. J- you are here to support our priorities, and the converse is not oper- operative. And I know most Americans don't care where the money it may be going once we send it there, but 60 Minutes, remember, did that piece saying the $60 billion that we sent. We're funding small businesses to still operate in Ukraine. Well, that's what you just heard from Josh Hawley, right. right? The PPP program for Ukraine businesses, it's- pensions, and so on and so forth. So, no, actually, we do care. And we do care about the $45 million that was stolen. And the point is to say $60 billion is something else that they don't feel the need to address, which we've talked about ad nauseum since the beginning of, of this, since Russia invaded. And 
the United States made a commitment to support Ukraine, which it's is like an open checkbook. So, to, so tell me um, what the program is. We're going to provide X that is going to provide Y to Ukraine, and we're going to measure it how so that we can make assessments about is this uh, a fruitful endeavor to subsidize the Ukrainian defense. But you don't get any of that. You don't get any detail. You get $60 billion. It gets uh, tubed along with the set, you know, in the context of the 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 surrender, uh, the border security surrender legislation that was co-authored by Langford and Murphy. And they're right back at it with the same $60 billion that was in the bill that got scuttled for Ukraine. And they don't and there's no additional color on this. Just just do it. Right. It's the most important vote. This is because I you know, said you're, so. You're either on this side of the Maginot line or the other side. Well, what about what Senator J.D. Vance, he tweeted out that, you know, part of this Ukrainian bill, if you read yeah. in between the lines that it can mean impeachment well, uh, for yeah, Trump J- presidency if he tries to, if he gets elected, if he tries to stop funding to Ukraine. Yeah, we, we have that. J.D. Vance explaining it on uh, the most recent installment of Tucker Carlson's program uh, that um, one of the other things that is uh, disingenuous. Mm-hmm. And problematic about this, uh, you know, disingenuous, particularly given the moralizing and the mor- the the indignation that you're treated to um, from the likes of Mitt Romney, is yeah, it com- it try it locks in a future president on the chance that Trump gets elected. They don't want him to be able to stop the flow of cash to Ukraine, and it also provides a predicate for another impeachment over the issue if he did. Is that it sends $61 billion to Ukraine to fund, as you said, a hopeless war in Eastern Europe that will decimate the Ukrainian population even more than it's already been decimated. So it's a terrible, terrible piece of legislation on the policy. The second thing I want to say, Tucker, though, is that it doesn't just fund Ukraine in 2024. And this is the most important point. It actually funds Ukraine in 25 and 26. Now, what's the problem with that? Say, for example, that we have a new president in 2025. That president would be handcuffed by the promises that we are making in law to Ukraine today. If you go back to to 2019, Tucker, to try to give you a sense of why this matters. In 2019, the U.S. House impeached then-President Donald Trump on the theory that they had appropriated money to Ukraine and Donald Trump refused to send it to Ukraine. So if Trump is elected president again and become president on January of 2025, he will conduct diplomacy. And if that diplomacy does not include sending additional billions to Ukraine, there is a theoretical argument, a predicate, if you will, for impeaching Donald Trump because they have tried to tie his hands. And the final point I'll make on this, Tucker, is that the Washington Post has already has already said, based on leaks from inside the intel community, the purpose of this legislation is to tie a future President Trump's hands. We're not just sending billions to Ukraine in 2024. We're trying to make it impossible for the next president to conduct diplomacy on his terms. It's anti-democratic, and it will lead to endless war in the, all over the world. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line, uh, Mark in Oakland. Dan, Amy, thanks for taking my call. Good morning. You know, I, I look at uh, uh, Vietnam, Iraq, I mean, all these useless wars, you know, why 
we got all these problems over here. we got a $33 trillion deficit. It's like a Ponzi scheme. They just keep printing more money, printing more money. When are we going to get any discipline and say enough is enough? And, and you know, there's too many war hawks on the, on the Republican side, and there's too many crooks on the Democratic side who are looking at, uh, uh, you know, uh, funneling money through through illegal ways and, and making money on it. And I wish I wish the... Uh, I wish a lot of the Republicans would would speak up and say these wars are a mistake, you know, but they don't. Well, a lot of them are. Thanks for the call, Mark. A lot of them are. J.D. Vance is. Rand Paul is. Here's Rand Paul. Open the champagne. (laughs) Pop the cork. The Senate Democrat leader and the Republican leader are on the way to Kiev. They've got $60 billion they're bringing. I don't know if it'll be cash in pallets. But they're taking your money to Kiev. Now, they didn't have much time, really no time and no money, to do anything about our border. We're being invaded. A literal invasion's coming across our border. 800,000 people came illegally in the last month. And all they had time to do in the Senate was get the money, get the cash pallets, load the planes, get the champagne ready, and fly to Kiev. Yeah, that's uh, that sarcasm is speaking to a frustration that uh, 19 Senate Republicans, including the leader there, McConnell, are dutifully ignoring to their peril and to the party's peril. Really. Uh, something to that, too. I think there is. So what Mark and Oaklawn said, you know, the, our, um, the United States is uh, subsidizing death, death of Americans death of uh, foreign nationals and faraway lands. I mean, the uh, death toll in Ukraine is substantial. I mean, the average age of a Ukrainian soldier is approaching 50. Now, right. again, hey, look, uh, I'm 50, and if we were invaded, then I'm ready to do my part uh, and fight for my country. So I'm not discounting the Ukrainian people's attitude about repelling a foreign invader. And it's not flacking for Putin to describe this. But but I mean, you, you, we have we have to make our own assessments too. I, I, ideally in collaboration with who we're supporting. But if we can't get agreement on approach from who we're otherwise underwriting in part um, and the, the other underwriters like the EU countries, then um, we need to make our own independent assessment about what makes the most sense for America in this. People are tired of it. I get it. Uh, Bill, Ukrainian people. Hey, Bill. Dan. uh, Yeah, that's the same thing. Uh, You know, six months from now, we're going to hear the same thing. We need another sixty billion. And six months after that, the same thing. We need another sixty billion. When does it end? You know, do we really want to help the Ukrainian people? Lincoln should get on a plane, fly to Moscow, sit down in front of Putin, and say, "What do we need to do to end this?" Thanks, Bill. Uh, Joe in Naperville. Yeah, you know, I feel it's bad for the Ukrainian people, but think about it this way. If things were so rotten there and everything, and they got means to get here, how come we don't see this massive influx of asylum seekers from Ukraine? We see it from all over the world, from China, from South Africa, but not from Ukraine. Is it because maybe they don't fit the uh, narrative? 
No, I don't think so. Thanks for the call. There actually are a significant number of Ukrainian refugees. I think there's something like there was something like uh, more than half a million Ukrainian men have fled the country lest they be conscripted. Right. Um, so th- that's happening. It's just different because the network is such, as we've talked about this actually before, is that, for example, in Chicago, where you have a sizable Ukrainian population, um, the uh, refugees are connected to Ukrainians in places like Chicago and taken in by, you know, their countrymen or former countrymen. Yeah, we so have 30,000 in different. Chicago, guys. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. So, it, so it is happening. It's just it's happening in a way that is um, consistent with American law in terms of fleeing persecution and legitimate claims of asylum as opposed to all of the illegitimate claims of asylum, uh, whether it's economic migrants or people who intend to do America harm. Um, so th- it, th- it is different. But it is, it's also happening. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy and um, KJP White House spokeshuman, uh, back on the job on Monday, yesterday, on damage control duty with the rest of the Biden flax that we saw over the weekend, including uh, Jill, his wife, the big guy's wife. Um, yeah, You know, it's all hands on deck for uh, damage control duty, and you've got sort of a, a uh, progression of angles to the damage control, which are fun. You've got the... Uh, which one do you like best? Well, my favorite fairy tale is that Biden is this towering intellect, but only behind closed doors. Uh, that my orcas can't keep up, man. Intellectually, physically, it sounds like, you know, he's got this. He's 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 on it. This 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 alone is a, a reason to impeach Ali Mayorkas. About a meeting with President Biden is preparing for it because he is sharp intensely probing and detail-oriented and focused. Yeah. Uh, I think Mayorkas is probing something, Biden's backside. Uh, yeah, but, but that's Ooh. that's just the way it goes. So that's the favorite fairy tale, towering intellect, uh, you know, deep into the policy minutia, this, this dizzying strategic thinker. 
That's uh, that's good. I like that. Um, I like the uh, the conspiracy theory that the Merrick Garland appointed special prosecutor Robert Hur is a Trump stooge. I like that one. And then, of course, I like the misdirection play. That's my favorite misdirection play is saying something that is observably true is gratuitous. You heard that a lot this weekend as well. Uh, well, uh, this is another example. Okay. This isn't got? necessarily towering intellect, but um, he's just so active. <laughs> Uh, Biden is like uh, that old campaign for the United States Army, that old recruitment campaign. He gets done. He gets more done by 9 a.m. than you get done all day. Thanks, Green. A new ABC News Ipsos poll shows that 86 percent of Americans think Biden is too old to serve another term. That is a higher percentage than what we found in a previous poll in September. So clearly polling shows this is a persistent issue. What is the White House strategy to try and change that perception? So Live. look, we're going to continue to lead on leadership, right? We're going to continue lead to focus on, on what this president leadership. has been able to get done, uh, what the president has been able to get done uh, on behalf of the, of the American people. Uh, and look, I'll quote a little bit of uh, what the First Lady said, uh, I think incredibly well, just a couple days ago. Uh, President Biden does more in one hour than most people do in a day. His age with experience and expertise is an incredible asset, and he proves it every day. And that's mm -hmm. what we believe. We believe yeah. that his age and his experience, because he was a senator, because he was obviously vice president, because he has these long, um, you know, long decades of relationships uh, with leaders, uh, obviously across the globe, and what he's been able to do, that's what we're going to lean into. That's what we're going to speak to. Yeah. Um, that Ooh. that statement is based in reality, but the Robert Hur report is not based in reality. Okay. And, uh, no, I mean, I agree. You have to lead with leadership. If you can't lead with leadership, what can you lead with? <laughs> she, she sounded like Kamala Harris. 312-642-5600, turnkey Pro answer line. You can also reach us on our text line. Six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment. So this was sort of the jumping off point in the uh, the one-on-one uh, -on -one interview that Tucker Carlson gave in Dubai at the World Government Summit. His first uh, discussion of the Putin interview that posted on Thursday night. We talked about uh, last couple shows, and uh, you know you, you immediately draw the comparison, as many have between what you saw on Thursday night in the Tucker interview from Putin and what you're seeing from our president, the guy who's supposed to outmaneuver Putin, among others. Uh, and uh, Tucker Carlson, so he got into that a bit, in addition to sort of restating what he said in the preview to the Putin interview, which is about the Biden administration trying to prevent this interview from happening. Take a listen. The, I'll start in reverse order. Why now? Well, I've been trying for three years to do this interview. Um, the U.S. government prevented me from doing it by spying on my text messages and leaking them to The New York Times. And that spooked the Russian government into canceling the interview. So I've been trying to do this, but my country's intel services were working against me illegally, and that enraged me because I'm an American citizen. I'm 54. I pay my taxes. I obey the law. And there was no expectation in the America that I grew up in that my government and its intel services, NSA and CIA, which were always outwardly focused on our foreign enemies, would be turned inward against American citizens. And I'm shocked by that, and I'm infuriated by that. And so once I discovered that that was happening, and I confirmed it was happening, and they admitted that they did it, 
that I was totally determined, monomaniacally dedicated to doing this interview, not simply because I want to know uh, what Vladimir Putin is like and what he thinks about a war that is resetting the world and really gravely damaging my country's economy, but also because they told me I couldn't on the basis of illegitimate means um, and for no really clearly stated justification. And I thought, that can't stand. I, don't, I want to live in a free country. I was born in one. And I'm going to do whatever small thing I can do to maintain um, you know, the society that I, 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 okay. I, I love. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. It's just another reminder and an important one. The uh, Obama administrations, the first two and this third one, they're not huge fans slash defenders of Americans' First Amendment rights, including, ironically, the press. Well, remember um, Biden administration? They were um, spying on James Rosen. Obama. Worked at Fox News. Yeah, Obama did. Yeah. Just like the yeah, same right. administration, Joe Obama. Eric Holder, Eric Holder who, who yeah. you have to listen to. Uh, offer these uh, encomiums uh, on MSNBC and so forth about our democracy. Another one of the great vanguards of our democracy, Eric Holder, just like Obama, just like Biden. And they love to illegally spy in the press. They love to illegally enlist third parties to censor Americans, abridgments of individual Americans, First Amendment rights, members of the press, their First Amendment rights. Not a small thing. So it's good that Tucker brought it out and restated it. And I'm glad he did get the interview. And I'm glad he's calling out the intel community. Yep. Uh, this, uh, just as, I'm, I'm just as glad it, that left-wing journalists like Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger have been enlisted by Elon Musk. And in addition, they're doing their own stuff in doing the, the rep- reporting, the actual journalism surrounding the Twitter files and these uh, – alliances of governments and academic institutions and nonprofits and third party cutouts like NewsGuard to censor Americans previously to censor Americans prospectively to do again illegally on behalf of the government what the government can't or won't do you know illegally in a transparent way themselves it's they don't want their fingerprints on it but of course per the Twitter files their fingerprints are all over it and the cyber threat intelligence agents, all of these other uh, stand-ups uh, from the authoritarian left that we've discussed. George in Naperville, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yes, with regard to Biden, I think he is a stunning example of old man strength. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the brute strength, yeah. I mean, he's uh, so hip now. He's, you know, campaigning on TikTok, even though... It's banned on government sites. No, he's so cool. He's got so much energy. He's reaching out to the young people. Yeah. Yeah. It's a catastrophe is what it is. And, uh, again, it's just observably true. But you're not supposed to say it out loud. To do that is to be gratuitous, as we talked about uh, yesterday. So per the question you just heard put to KJP. So three-quarters to uh, four-fifths of the uh, American electorate is gratuitous because they believe the same thing that has been stated about Biden's mental fitness for the job, which is to say they have grave concerns 
to the extent they have any willingness to believe he's capable of a second term. Tuck Carlson went on to talk a little bit more about uh, his experience during his time in Russia, mm-hmm. Moscow in particular. Uh, this was an interesting riff. Take a listen. And it's wildly diverse, linguistically, culturally, religiously. It's hard to run a country like that for 24 years, whether you like it or not. So an incapable person couldn't do that. He is very capable, and many of you know him, and you know that. What was radicalizing, very shocking, and very disturbing for me was the city of Moscow, where I'd never been, the biggest city in Europe, 13 million people. And it is so much nicer than any city in my country. I had no idea. My father spent a lot of time there in the 80s when he worked for the U.S. government and barely had electricity. And now it is so much cleaner and safer and prettier aesthetically. It's architecture, it's food, it's service than any country, city in the United States that you have to, and this is non-ideological, how did that happen? How did that happen? And at a certain point, I don't think the average person cares as much about abstractions as about the concrete reality of his life. And if you can't use your subway, for example, as many people are afraid to in New York City because it's too dangerous, you have to sort of wonder, like, isn't that the ultimate measure of leadership? And that's true, by the way, it's radicalizing for an American to go to Moscow, I didn't know that, I've learned it this week, to Singapore, to Tokyo, to Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Because these cities, no matter how we're told they're run and on what principles they're run, are wonderful places to live. That don't have rampant inflation, where you're not going to get raped. Sir, and excuse so, me. What is that? Excuse me. Are you anti-American model? No. I am the most pro-American. So I'm 54. I was born in 1969. I grew up in a country that had cities like Moscow and Abu Abu Dhabi and Dubai and Singapore and Tokyo. And we no longer have them. And what I have discovered is that's a voluntary choice. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro tax line. I, I, I mean, I heard that interview when I was in Luxembourg and I thought, he is so right. I mean, we don't feel safe using our subway systems, our public transportation, because you could get robbed or killed. Well, like, that, what, that like, comment was prescient as uh, five people were shot and one were killed in the subway, yep. New, subway in New York yesterday, right? Yep. I mean, uh, so there's certainly something to what's happening to our major urban centers, which is they're disintegrating, no question. And there's garbage everywhere. And there's not garbage in European countries. The... Um, I mean, I would take exception to Tucker's characterization of um, Putin and even Singapore and Tokyo. I mean, um, yes, people ultimately care about the reality of the place in which they live, not so much philosophical abstractions. But the reality of the place in which you live is more complicated than just the cleanliness of the streets. And so, I mean, Putin is an autocrat. So... So the the ends don't justify the means and um, the uh, wrongful imprisonment of foreign national as well as his own citizens. I mean, he's a repressive, tyrannical figure. And, you know, and and there's sort of soft authoritarianism in uh, those other countries he mentioned. Also, Tokyo is sort of an outlier in part because of Japanese culture, in part because of the homogeneity of the population. So it's hard to do exact comparisons. So, I mean, I take his overall point, but, I mean, let's be a little bit more um, fulsome in our description of these comparisons because I'm not for martial law if the streets are clean. You know what I'm saying? Right. And let's just be clear about that. But 
But in terms of what he's pointing to, the choice that we have made in this country to self-immolate in major centers, major urban centers, there's no question it's a choice. There's no question that the residents of the American citizens who reside in places like Chicago and San Francisco and New Orleans and Memphis and Baltimore and Philadelphia go on and on and on. Basically, you know, most metropolitan areas with more than 300,000 in population, the choice that the res- the American citizens, the residents of those cities have made is to disintegrate their community. That's what the majority has decided. And it's manifested in the leadership they've chosen and the policies that come with that leadership. We know this all too well in Chicago, don't we? That is a choice. Absolutely right about that. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line, fired up and ready to go, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. Chuck and Delavan, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. I, I do more I do more in one day than he does in a month. A month ago, I filled out a Free of Information Act to find out how much the guy that changes Joe, Joe's diapers and how much the contractor charged to install all the koala stations throughout the uh, White House. Stations. And I've got, I've got no response back yet. So, Jill, anyway, I did you know, it again. Doctor. They don't follow, they don't follow Free of Information rules. <laughs> Station. Oh my God! That's Thanks funny. for the call, Chuck. Uh, Chuck does more than than in one day than Biden does all month, and he doesn't soil himself. Exactly. Chuck for president. Uh, but I just think it's so frustrating because the media keeps focusing on his age, but it's not about his age; it's his mental capacity and lack of. No it. question. No Getting question. The wrong president of France. No question. Uh, we had Bob laughable. Woodson on. The, we our had Bob, enemies are laughing at us and our allies. We had Bob Woodson on the show on uh, Friday. He's uh-huh. 86 years old. He could be president tomorrow. I mean, You're he's, darn so, right. he's, yeah. he's that sharp. Christopher Walken, I don't know, it was a 30 second commercial during the Super Bowl for BMW, but he looks sharp enough to me to be president. You're right. It's not about age, it's about mental acuity. And he doesn't have it. Nope. Which, again, is something that has been known for a long time. But now that Robert Hurst said it out loud, everybody has to deal with it, And thus you've got the full-on right. damage control duty. Marty in Naperville, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Uh, two things. One real quick. Yesterday I heard, Dan, you got a Lonely Hearts Club band thing going for Valentine's Day. Where do I get one of the T-shirts from? Uh, and second of all, uh, for I like Tucker, but for everything he's saying, there's not 20 million refugees trying to break into the to the Soviet Union, let exactly. alone Moscow itself. So That's true. That's exactly right. Thanks for the call, Marty. That's right. There's a reason for that. Um, Bob Buffalo Grove. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Bonjour, Amy. Bonjour. Question for you. Uh, when, are, uh, when are we going to see the media? They're just starting to uh, change their tone with regards to Biden and, of course, the youth have uh, changed their support for Biden. So maybe Frank can weigh in from Arlington Heights some history in 68 when um, uh, the media and the youth uh, turned on Johnson. And then in 674, when uh, the Republicans finally turned on Nixon to get him out. So when are, when are some of the really big Democratic leaders going to say uh, Biden is a loser and we got to get somebody new? They're not. Thanks for the call, Bob. They're not. Well, not certainly not the state. Well, Bob Costas yeah. isn't a party leader. Yeah. That they're, they're, they're not. I mean, you saw the 
full-on damage control duty, and you're going to see that from now until it becomes untenable. What does becoming untenable look like? I don't know. It's going to have to be, uh, it seems to me, it's going to have to be a health event, um, not just the the deterioration that's happening on a daily basis, but it's going to have to be an actual event, and I'm not okay. rooting for it. I'm just no. describing what would be required because they're not going anywhere. Well, Kamala and, Harris said she's ready to go if that happens too, Dan. Yeah, she's uh, she's she's you know going full Al Haig, or she's close to going full <laughs> Al Haig here. There's no question about it. Um, but um, but people keep forgetting, and I don't know why. I, I, well, Biden's not in charge, but he is in charge of this decision. Stay or go. He is the most powerful man in the Western world, really, in in the entire world, arguably. Whether he has the capacity to uh, judiciously wield that power or not, and after fifty years, you think he's just going to shuffle away? He's not, and he has every incentive beyond that to stay because of all that circling around him and his family. And he's too senile to stand trial, but fine to run the country. Bill, Cape Coral, Florida. Yeah, earlier you said you don't want to turn into be the Gestapo police for uh, clean streets, but think about it: in the fifties. You threw paper out your car window, you'd be pulled over by the police. It's called littering. Yeah. Well, when yeah. was the last time someone wrote a ticket for littering? So here's what they do. You can't follow the rules, we'll change them. You can't follow, uh, you, you could travel now in basketball. You change the rules. Yeah. You can, uh, no license plates now. They just said you can't even, you can drive a car with no license plates, we can't pull you over. So when certain part of society cannot obey the rules, society changes the rules to appease them. That's well, the problem. Well, well, yeah, it, it would. Yes, right. I mean, this is yes, right. Forget littering. How about retail theft? Right. I mean, uh, just just for that. just for starters. I mean, I, I get it, but my point is to say um, that is not a yeah, tickets for littering. I'm fine with that, but th- this is not the same thing as to suggest what you know Putin does or you know Mussolini. He, he made the trains run on time. Well, that's not an endorsement of Mussolini's leadership, is it? That's my point. Simple as that. Uh, John Mearsheimer, the University of Chicago uh, professor. Uh, he weighed in on Tucker's interview, given all the hue and cry from the usual places, the people that don't have anything to offer other than uh, invective, you know, the pejorative Putin stooge. Uh, John Mearsheimer, University of Chicago, is on with uh, Judge Napolitano on his podcast. And he had this to say about Tucker's interview of Putin. Well, it's typical of the way uh, the foreign policy establishment, and this, of course, includes Hillary Clinton, deals with people who disagree with them. Instead of dealing with the substance uh, of the dispute, what they do is engage in name-calling. He's a useful idiot. He's Putin's Putin's puppet. He's not very smart, so forth and so on. Remember what Hillary said about Donald Trump's supporters. She said that they're deplorables. This is a remarkably foolish thing to say. Uh, And you basically... Uh, see the same line of attack at play here. Look, you don't have to agree with Putin and you don't have to agree with Tucker Carlson. 
Vladimir Putin is a world historical figure. Uh, he matters greatly to the United States. He has a particular view of the world. He has a particular view of the Ukraine conflict. He has a particular view of the Biden administration in the United States. Wouldn't it be a good thing to hear what he is thinking about all of those matters? I think it would be a good thing to hear. Tucker Carlson, whether you like him or not, is a very smart man. Uh, he is basically sympathetic to Putin. He's not antagonistic. And I think what that means is that he will give Putin a chance to develop his arguments in a sophisticated way. People can agree or disagree. But the problem is that this is not the way we operate in the United States these days. There's just so much Russophobia and so much hysteria about Putin that the mere thought of Tucker Carlson interviewing Vladimir Putin drives lots of people crazy and it causes them to act in foolish ways. And that's what you got with Hillary Clinton. And it's about what I said uh, prior to Tucker's interview of Putin and subsequent to it. And I mean, the thing that Mir Shermer points out, a quick illustration of it. Remember when Russia invaded Ukraine, we're banning everything Russian in this country, Russian vodka oh, yeah, and so on and so yeah. forth. But the, the one thing that the left is fine with, all the people with the Ukrainian flags and their social media profiles and, and that I'm not drinking Russian vodka and I'm not I'm going not to see the Bolshoi the Bolsho Boy when it's in town. And I'm not, just all ridiculous, right? Yes. All the virtue and signaling nonsense from the typical simpletons. But the one thing they have no problem with is the anti-energy independence policies of the Biden administration that subsidize Russia. And this is part of it, too. Oh, money for Ukraine, money for. So we're subsidizing the Russian energy sector while we're giving money to Ukraine. As usual, the U.S. is on both sides of this war and it's a little tiresome and I can see through it. And then I'm, you know, called a, uh, a, 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 a Putin uh, sympathizer if I point out the obvious. Again, you're not supposed to say things that are observably true. You're not going to supposed to point out obvious hypocrisy. That's, uh, you know, impertinent. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Weekday afternoons at 3 on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Oh, goodness. Oh, no, what? You have got to see what Joe Biden posted or, you know, some intern posted for him to his Twitter account yesterday. And I'm sure to his TikTok account. He's got one of those now, too, even though it's a national security threat. Right. It's banned on government sites. But he's going to campaign with it because he's got to reach the young people, Dan. Uh, this, you know, yes. he happened to be in the neighborhood um and so he decided to stop in and see his good buddies, oh. Christian and Carter, and uh, have a meal with their dad. The worst idea the for of a world. remake of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner ever. <laughs> Apologies to Sidney Poitier, oh. to Spencer Tracy, to Catherine Hepburn. You, you've got to see this just because it is it's so comically painful to watch. Oh, man, you got chicken fingers. You got, you got all the other. Oh, I want the root of making sure I had the hamburger. So tell me about you guys. What you doing these days? Want to share about your passion of sports. I'm playing AAU basketball right now. Are you really? Are you guard? 
Yes, sir. Now, what grade are you in? Seventh grade. Seventh grade. Right now, I'm just doing basketball, playing guard on the JV team for my school. How about in school? How are y'all doing in school? Why don't you tell the president about the school? Favorite thing about it is the business academy I'm in. We get to, like, travel, so we've been to, like, NC State, uh, Wake Tech, and we... You're kidding me. Yeah, we went to this small dry cleaning business, and it's just, it's cool, it's a great experience. That's impressive. Is that a new program in school? Yes, sir, it is. It just started just a couple of years ago. You know how much this guy loves you. You just feel it, can't you? Yes, sir. Your dad jumped in front of a bull for you. By the way, we dads are hard to raise once you're a teenager. We're hard to raise, so you got to be patient with us, you know what I mean? Yes, sir. Go patient. Uh, we're we're to start. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. All I, when I saw that, I thought, okay, he's bringing in carry-out fried chicken. He's such a try-hard. I mean, this is so beneath the office of the presidency. I hope Christian and Carter got an appropriate uh, amount of NIL money to participate in this uh, little sketch that he's doing. Um, I mean, it just... It is really, it is really something to behold. Uh, I, I was waiting for one of them to say, um, "Dad, uh, can we just take in a migrant family instead of the president?" <laughs> like uh, going to Massachusetts, right? Uh-huh. Better get those uh, beds ready. Uh, they're coming. <laughs> his good friends, Christian and Carter. You oh. know, so what? What are you up to these days, fellas? Uh, I mean, it, it is. Um, an act of desperation is what yeah. it is. I mean, it's just the most really patronizing. I'd be so. Insu- it's just, I mean, it's just insulting. But I, I suppose there are some on the left that cannot be insulted or they're willing to be insulted for a price. It's it's really, I, I don't know it's who so around him thinks this is going to move the needle in a positive direction. These sorts of uh, videos but wow take take a look at it i tweeted it out to uh, dad prof take a look at it and, and make your own determination i've got perhaps an even worse remake than joe biden starring in guess who's coming to dinner you ready for this one okay i'm ready same race hustle all right different cast different remake uh this is the worst idea for a remake of the color of money ever the color of money featuring al sharpton and Benjamin Crump. Oh boy. Uh, I guess I guess Al is Paul Newman and Crump is Tom Cruise. Guy lost his life. Man. Yeah. And then George Floyd was trying to get rid of all the crime in America overnight. Just like that. And people ask how attorney Crump changed the definition of crime. Mm. Of course. If you get to define what conduct is gonna be made criminal. You can predict who the criminal is going to be. I mean, it sounds yeah. like we're criminal, though. Yeah. Our existence no, is the criminal. But they no, made no, no. the laws They that made way. the law to criminalize our culture. To fit up. Black culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so when I think of Eric Garner, I always think of stuff like that. Loose cigarettes. Guy lost his life. Man. Yeah. And then George Floyd was trying to buy cigarettes and so forth. So you have to think about the profiling things that they come up with the profilers for. Pretext your reasons. And it happens Every day, Al, they will come and say, you can't wear baggy pants. Right. Mm-hmm. Make mm-hmm. that a crime. Right. Yeah. You yep. can't have milk cartons in your yard. Right. Make that a crime. Right. 
312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636DA, turnkey.pro, text line. Again, these are only snippets, previews. We don't have the full uh, bootleg copies of these remakes, but um, uh, which did you enjoy more? Uh, the Guess Who's Coming to Dinner remake with Joe Biden or the Color of Money remake with Al Sharpton and Benjamin Crump? Uh, the uh, uh, the theme or the, uh, the the takeaway, the moral of that story is uh, criminalizing the black culture. That's what an unnamed they do. Hmm. Yeah, and who's the they? Got a lot of text messages. Dan and Amy, did President Biden let those young boys rub the blonde hair on his legs like Corn Pop used to? Mm-hmm. Right. Remember at the pool when he was a lifeguard? Yeah, yeah. And the black sure, people, they're so fascinating. They were. I'd let him play with the hair on my legs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what it's going to be. I mean, he's um, really uh, cast his ongoing aspirations with the identitarians. So it, it will be the most base sort of race and other identitarian appeals from now until November. Get ready for it. By the way, just as a quick aside. Yes. Since... Uh, Somebody else, when you think of patronizing and empty-headed, you think of uh, Joe Biden, sure, but you also think of his running mate and uh, uh, the president-in-waiting, Kamala Harris. Uh, we have, a, you know, Sean Farage is the sort of official Trump impersonator. He, he does oh, the yeah. best job. Um, we played her before, but she's got a new one, and oh, I just figured since we're, we're doing these uh, vignettes— um, Elsa Kurt is the best Kamala impersonator out there. And, uh, well, without further ado. We are here today at this prestigious... Insert location. To talk with people. Okay. People in uniform. People in suits. People in t-shirts. People in dresses. And all of these people are here today together okay because we want to be unburdened by the things that have burdened us in the past and in the present and perhaps even in the future and as i look around i see the sun is shining and i see that there are trees over there and there is ground beneath us and i have hands and they are clapping. <laughs> and I am laughing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I would um, put um, uh, young uh, Christian and Carter on notice that Kamala Harris is going to be knocking on their door to do a video. Yeah. She's like going to bring did dessert. With, yeah. <laughs> after she smokes a blunt with Charlemagne the God. And I mean, the whole the whole thing. You're gonna get, you're good. and then she's gonna play pool with Sharpton and Crump. Yeah, there'll be more of this. By the way, did you ever notice? I didn't really notice this until listening to Elsa Kurtz's impersonation of Kamala. Mm-hmm. But that mk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if uh, Kamala ripped that from South Park. You know, Mr. Mackey. I'm here to tell you about drugs and alcohol and why they're bad. Okay. So first of all, uh, smoking's bad. You shouldn't smoke. And uh, alcohol is bad. You shouldn't drink alcohol. And uh, as for drugs, well, drugs are bad. You shouldn't do drugs. Okay.
Okay. Uh, and, and he also sort of has the same wonderful observations about the human condition that Kamala has. I see trees and the sun. Mm-hmm. I have hands and they're clapping. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. That sound means it's time for in-depth history with uh, history teacher Frank from Arlington Heights because there's nothing new in this world, just the history we don't know. Take it away, Frank. Good morning. As we approach St. Valentine's Day, we should pause to reflect on the status of our romantic relationships. Actually, those require way too much work. Forget that. Let's learn today about the lives of monks instead. Now, the name on my confirmation stole was Anthony. But it wasn't until decades later that I found out that the very stout St. Anthony the Great lived to the ripe old age of 105 as an ascetic monk in the deserts of Egypt and is considered the founder of organized Christian monasticism. Of course, in the seventh grade, I really had no idea which St. Anthony I had in my skull. It was more likely St. Anthony of Padua, a Cenobitic Franciscan monk who lived from 1195 to 1231 and preached and served the poor in Italy. He followed more in the tradition established by the twins, St. Benedict and St. Scholastica, who lived in the 520s and established the monastery of Monte Cassino. Strict rules were enforced here, as the certainty provided by the monastic life in the impoverished Dark Ages attracted way too many who abused the monasteries as mere flop houses. The twins were quite successful in changing this. But if I had to be confirmed today, no doubt I'd choose the Orthodox St. Simeon Stylitis of Anatolia. I have a certain admiration for this man who, in the early 400s, started the extreme practice of living on top of a platform, on top of an old Greek column, and preaching to passers-by. Legend has it that he stayed up there for 37 years. His life was rather odd. He must have needed many buckets, but he had quite a view, and neither did he have to stare into the postmodern secular abyss like we do every day. Uh, just like uh, rooftop pastor Corey Brooks. Yep. Uh, yeah. Maybe yeah. he's got a he's got a thirty years to go. Maybe he could get uh, canonized as well. I you know I thought you might go on Valentine's Day. I thought you might go with a treatise on Saint Valentine, but uh, but uh, you know who was uh, martyred by Claudius II, so that fits in with your. But I I, I appreciate the uh, the monks a little bit of the history historical thumbnail on the monks. Pretty good, Frank. Yeah. All right. Corey is, is a stylitic monk. And Frank, yes. I'm going to be contacting to you about extent. an idea. I have an idea for you after visiting to France. To a certain extent, you are too, Dan. You're, you have yeah. your platform. You're, yep. you're kind of a stylitic monk. You're and so many... <laughs> Thank you very much. I've been called worse. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. There is much to discuss with our next guest, Brendan O'Neill from uh, Spiked Online. But I feel compelled to uh, start with this exchange a, um, a Scottish uh, gentleman confronting British PM Rishi Sunak at a, a GBN-sponsored candidate forum or prime minister forum, for lack of a better description, yeah. so taking questions from the audience. Because 
I can't recall a COVIDian policymaker confronted by someone who had an adverse reaction to the vaccine like this exchange. Uh, so it's worth uh, hearing and discussing what's going on in the UK as it may inform what the possibilities are in the US. Take a listen. Hi, Rishi Sunak. I've got so much to say, but such little time. My name is John Watt, and I'm one of the COVID vaccine injured in this country. I want you to look into my eyes, Rishi Sunak, and I want you to look at the pain, the trauma, and the regret I have in my eyes. We have been left with no help at all. Not only am I in here that's vaccine injured, there's another man over there whose life's been ruined by that COVID-19 vaccine. I know people who have lost legs, amputations. I know people with heart conditions like myself, Rishi Sunak. Why have I had to set up a support group in Scotland to look after the people that have been affected by that COVID-19 vaccine? Why are the people who are in charge, who told us all to do the right thing, have left us all to rot and left me and the thousands and the tens of thousands in this country to rot. Rishi Sunak, look me in the eye. When are you going to start to do the right thing? The vaccine damage payment scheme is not fit for purpose. In Scotland right now, according to the yellow card system, there are over 30,000 people that have had an adverse reaction to that vaccine. And okay, deaths. J- John... Thank you very much indeed for your question. It's time for you to start doing the right thing, you've, Mr. Rishishunak, and the rest. You've, you've, you've made a really strong point, John. Prime Minister. Yeah, John, well, I'm very sorry to hear about your personal circumstances, and you said someone over here also seems to have suffered by, the similar, by a similar thing. Now, obviously, I, I don't know about the individual situation that you're We're in. Silenced, and, We're silenced, Well, I don't. social media and everything. Okay. We are silenced. We are the most silenced people in this country. I'm silenced right. in the press because my story in the press okay. had to go right. to the government for comment but and they made them forgive, take all right. the stuff out. For, no, forgive me, said. forgive me both. I know I'm happy. We, we, I'm we, we, no, no, no one, no one, okay. John, no one, no one is saying, no one is saying Oh, yeah, okay. No po- I've lost my house, uh, my wife, and successful career. And, sir, you raised some very valid points, I'm sure. What I've got to say is, though, we haven't got you on microphone and, as you know, we've got to get through this... I'm sure we can, we can raise your points with the Prime Minister at a later yeah. date. But in the meantime, Prime Minister, if you yeah, could no, cover the I'm, issue. I'm, I'm very happy to. So look, there is a vaccine compensation scheme that's in place, as you alluded to in the NHS. Obviously, everyone individually will work through their cases. It's difficult for me to comment on anyone's individual case. I'm sure you'll appreciate that. I'm very happy to go and look at the cases, and I'm sure you'll get them to the team here. I mean, I, I'm very saddened and shocked to hear that you've been silenced by anybody. That is surprising to me, so please do get your details to Stephen and the team, and I will happily take that away. Of course, you should be able to speak about your experience, what's happened to you, and as I said, we have a compensation scheme in place for that, and I'll make sure that we're working through that. Obviously, I think you'll appreciate it's hard for me to comment on your specific circumstances, just not knowing them and those things that... Our viewers and listeners won't be able to. I think look, the, la- the last thing I'd say is, uh, you know, we went through a pandemic like everyone else. At the points when it came to the vaccine, those decisions were always taken on the basis of medical advice from our medical experts to 
tell us as politicians, who are obviously not doctors, about how best to roll out the vaccine, what was in the public health interest, the priority order, how that should be done, who should be eligible. That was something that the doctors recommended on, and that's something that we followed. Now, obviously, if there are individual circumstances which haven't worked out, then that's why we have the compensation scheme in place, and I'll make sure that we follow up on your cases. Well, I'll tell you a couple of things about that. Uh, one is, I love the guy who keeps saying his name, Rishi Sunak. Rishi Sunak. Look me in the eye, Rishi Sunak. I love that moment. Oh, say their names. Isn't that the yep. admonition from the left? Say their names. Good. Here's the name, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, COVIDian. Look me in the eye, Prime Minister, because we're, you know, you're not better than me. We're right here, mano a mano. Great moment. Uh, a couple of things about what Sunak said that are complete bull jive to listen to the doctors, typical politicians cover their ass. And then the uh, medical press say, Oh, we just provide recommendations as politicians make the decisions. So, you know, they both cover for each other as we talked about for three years. Um, really, uh, Rishi, did you, did you consult with uh, professor Sunetra Gupta over at Oxford? No, no. Right. She was one of the, the medical professionals. In fact, pre COVID, one of the most renowned epidemiologists in the world silenced great Barrington declaration signatory. Oh, and, and you don't know about uh, this Scottish gentleman being silenced. What are you talking about? The British government, just like the U S government was in the business of silencing dissent for three years lying. And the other thing too, that that Scottish gentleman said, I mean, we have no idea what do you, does anybody know what the, uh, the size of the population, the vaccine injured is. You can extrapolate, I guess, from the VAERS self-reporting, but we don't have any idea in this country. And that Scottish gentleman just said 50,000 in Scotland alone. If that's right. I mean, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but oh, my gosh, that's a big number. And that's going to be a big number uh, in terms of the payouts to the extent the the United uh, Kingdom's government lives up to this whatever compensation scheme they've set up that Sunak was referring to. That's a moment right there, I think. For more on this and other topics, Brendan O'Neill, chief political writer at Spiked, author of the recently released A Heretic's Manifesto, Essays on the Unsayable. <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> Brendan O'Neill, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hi, how's it going? Good. So what about that? What about that uh, exchange, that uh, that uh, prime minister forum with, uh, you know, your the, with the hoi polloi in, in UK and, and just that that moment with that Scottish gentleman? That was something. It was a very powerful exchange. And the one observation I'd add to your excellent observations on it is the accent, you know, the the Scottish guy's accent. It's a very thick Scottish accent. It will be a very familiar accent to people in the United Kingdom. It's a very working class accent versus Rishi Sunak, who's quite plummy, quite well spoken, privately educated, comes from a very different sphere of society. So it did feel very much like hoi polloi speaking back to power and yeah. asking some pressing, pressing questions. So I thought it was a very powerful exchange. I think you're right to raise the problem of censorship during the COVID era. I think during the COVID pandemic, we witnessed a complete collapse of freedom of speech, of the right to dissent, of the right to ask questions. And in the UK, it was particularly bad. We know that people in officialdom were spying on journalists and other people on the Internet and and, uh, keeping a check on what people were saying. 
Um, we know that the uh, health minister here contacted Facebook directly and said, look, can you do something about people who are questioning aspects of the lockdown or questioning uh, the vaccine rollout? And of course, you mentioned the great Barrington Declaration, people like Sunitra Gupta and others who were demonized in the media here in Britain to an extraordinary degree. They were referred to as granny killers and COVID deniers and conspiracy theorists and lunatics. There was a complete clamp down on free discussion on the basis that we were in a crisis. But my view is that it's precisely when you're in a crisis that you need freedom of speech. You need open debate. You need to ask, is this the right thing to do? Is lockdown the right approach? If we'd had that kind of open, free discussion, we wouldn't be seeing some of the pernicious consequences of lockdown now in terms of kids' education, people's mental health, the backlog in the National Health Service, and so on. So the collapse of open debate, I think, was one of the worst things during the COVID era. Did the government spy on you at all or anybody that works for Spiked Online? Well, we know that some people um, were, uh, in some of the reports that were kept about people on the internet, some people were hauled over the coals for sharing uh, spiked articles and spiked content um, because we were very uh, lockdown skeptical right from the very beginning. We, you know, we said, look, obviously, we need to talk about this pandemic. We need to talk about how serious it is and, and who it poses a threat to and so on. Um, but lockdown is not necessarily the right approach. And completely dismantling every single existing civil liberty is surely not the right way to galvanize the public or to convince us that uh, we need to take action. So, yeah, we were making those arguments. And I know that there were people in positions of power who didn't like that and would rather that we just shut up and went along with it. But, you know, the right to dissent is probably the most important right in a civilized society. And the sacrifice of that right in the COVID era, I think, was terrible. Uh, what do you know? Can you tell us about that yellow card system and the compensation scheme the British government has come up with for the vaccine injured? Because, I mean, gosh, even just admitting that that's a thing is uh, progress over where we were uh, not so long ago. Yeah. So we have a yellow card scheme where people can report their adverse reactions. Um, I myself had to fill one in, actually. Thankfully, my adverse reaction was far milder than that gentleman we just heard, uh, the Scottish man. Um, but I had a relatively severe adverse reaction um, in relation to skin rashes and, and things that I, I won't go into. It's gross. Um, okay. But thank, okay. thankfully, it cleared up quite quickly. But it was, I think... What I discovered is that about 3% of people had the kind of reaction that I had. Um, so, yeah, people were invited to report these reactions or these injuries. But, of course, there are some people who have had severe reactions and have suffered severe injuries. And some people we know have died as well. Uh, that is true. That is that is right. And I think the lack of discussion around this is really terrible. Now, you know, you don't have to go out there and say all vaccines are bad, you know, scrap right. modern medicine, right, give it all course. up. We're not talking about that. What, you know, what we're talking about is taking seriously the fact that lots of people had an adverse reaction. And some people, uh, thankfully, a, a fairly small number had a very serious reaction. We do need to talk about that. And the compensation system here in Britain is not good enough. It's not fast enough. Uh, people are still waiting on their payments. These are people who may never work again. 
um, or whose loved ones died, uh, whose husbands died, who, who the breadwinner in, in their household may have suffered. So these are people who need compensation, and it's not happening fast enough, and that's another problem. Well, of course it's not. I mean, you have national, you know, government-run healthcare system. Of course, I mean, you wait. You know, it's the old PGO work joke. Uh, the good news about that gallbladder surgery, it's free. The bad news is you're never going to get it. I mean, that's the, you know, that's Canada, that's the UK, that's sort of backdoor where we are in the US. And so, why would this? scheme yeah. be any more responsive or, or uh, attentive to uh, uh, British citizens than the overall healthcare system. Yeah, and our healthcare system is far worse now post-COVID than it was uh, even beforehand because there is now such a huge backlog. Because in uh, <clears throat> 2020 and 2021, the National Health Service became the National COVID Service. There were these massive adverts on the streets, very dystopian billboards saying um if you're not really ill just stay at home don't bother the nhs let us get on with the job of tackling covid the consequence of that is that a lot of people didn't get cancer checkups a lot of people mm -hmm. uh, the number of people who died from stroke and heart attack at home whereas normally they would have been in a hospital where they may have received some treatment or they may have, have died anyway the number of people dying from those ailments at home has shot up enormously because people are steering or, or they did steer clear of the health service and lots of people are now predicting including carol sakura who's a very well-known oncologist here in the uk and, and is also a lockdown skeptic they're now predicting that there will be a huge spike in cancer cases and cancer deaths in the coming years as a consequence of the shutdown of the health service during the COVID years so this is what I mean by freedom of discussion and freedom of debate and, and uh, the, the right of people to raise questions. Because if we had done that during the COVID era, we could have come up with ways to ensure that people were still receiving the health treatment they needed. But discussion was discouraged and we were told to shut up and put up. Well, is the madness still continuing? I mean, do you still have vaccine mandates there? We don't anymore, thankfully. And um, the travel restrictions have eased enormously as well. I mean, one of the key reasons I got the vaccine, I got the first two shots and then I had a, a my, uh, you know, adverse reaction. Uh, the key reason I got it is because of travel. Uh, there was a period of time when you couldn't leave the country and go to Europe um, unless you had proof of vaccination. So that was the main driver for me. And that's a form of pressure, I suppose, because you can't make choices in your life unless you agree to submit yourself to this medical intervention. So we had a kind of vaccine mandate. We had There was huge pressure on people. I think most people did it willingly and, and most people were happy to do it. But uh, thankfully, that era has now passed. We're no longer pressured to get the vaccine um, and the lockdown rules and the mask rules have all gone. But unless we have an open discussion about whether it was the right decision and what the consequences of lockdown have been uh there's the possibility i think that we might make that mistake in the future again so we do need to have a real reckoning with what uh, happened uh, during the COVID era exactly that's exactly it and and you know people want to move on and it's behind us and just leave it there but you have to have an accounting i mean the 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 uh, vaccine injured first of all are are owed something um because it was you know I mean, technically, I guess you could say no. But I mean, as you said, the pressure was coming from every angle and civil life to get the vaccine. Otherwise, you can't work, you can't travel, you can't do this, you can't do that. So, I mean, it's essentially a, a, a you know government force that was brought to bear compelling this. And now and and a lot of people apparently 
uh, had adverse reactions and some very serious. So they're owed justice. In addition to that, sort of the accounting that you're describing, and that's going to be very difficult to report because you're certainly not going to get any help from the state. But, yeah, the, the, the impacts that are hard to measure, that are hard to quantify, that are hard to localize to the, the um, lockdowns. But, but as, you, as more time passes and you can do a little bit of comparison over you know, a period of time, then you can make some uh, hypotheses about, you know, are these lingering impacts, extended impacts of the decisions that we made that set off this daisy chain? I mean, that's that's the kind of reporting we need and the, and the conversation that needs to be driven so that there is appreciation for just how damaging the decisions were that were made by these covidian lockdown politicians and 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 frankly, medical professionals, too, who are behaving like politicians. Yeah, that's right. And I think, um, there, you know, we're starting to see some of the impact of lockdown now and, and also vaccine mandates. And, you know, there is so much to be said for modern medicine and it has improved people's lives enormously and it's improved people's lifespan. We all know this, but modern medicine works best when it is voluntary and when you invite people to partake of certain medical interventions and you try to convince them that they will be beneficial and so on. But when you uh, pressure people or force people or deny them certain rights if they don't agree to do something, that is always going to have bad consequences because it makes people skeptical of medical power. So one consequence of the uh, lockdown era is that we now have a huge problem in Britain of uh, measles. Um, there's been a spike in, in measles cases among children in parts of the Midlands here in England and in parts of the north of England as well, because um, uptake of the measles vaccine has plummeted, plummeted to around 70 percent in some areas, and it needs to be around 90 percent in order to prevent a measles outbreak. Measles can be a very serious disease. It can have lifelong consequences. But because people are wary now of being pressured to get certain vaccines and being told by the medical establishment, you must do this or else the world will end. It's had all sorts of um, unpredicted consequences. So that's just one example. There are many other examples, like the fact that tens of thousands of children in Britain have not returned to the education system since COVID. They are lost. They're referred to as ghost children. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the state presumes that they're just being kept at home or that they're not suitable for education anymore because they fell behind so badly or they just are reluctant to socialize with other kids that's another consequence you know if you shut down the education system for a year that's going to impact very badly on kids ability to learn and their ability to socialize so we're starting to see uh, the fallout from covid and and i've even seen some politicians and journalists saying well we should have talked about these things yes we should have but too often they wouldn't let us Brendan O'Neill is the chief political writer at Spiked, Spiked Online, and author of the recently released book, A Heretic's Manifesto, Essays on the Unsayable. Brendan O'Neill, thank you as always. Thank you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Insert Democrat socialist here. Runs the Democratic House law. For 30 plus years running He's promising this and he's stealing that Where can you get that kind of money? He's using your house like his own piggy bank, 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 bank. You ought to know by now You 
can pay off your house here in Illinois. But you can never keep up with the taxes. Oh, how it's always been the plan to have a taxpayer pay, no doubt. Not a matter of if anymore, but when you're moving out. When you're moving out. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. That theme music means it's time for our weekly conversation with Ted Dabrowski, president of Wirepoints, wirepoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. You know, as I mentioned yesterday, I totally uh, understand uh, Cook County State Attorney Kim Fox being at the uh, Super Bowl to enjoy Usher and the game and everything because yeah. she's basically got this office, the Cook County State Attorney's office back home, on autopilot. It's it's yeah. it's humming right along, so she doesn't need to be here all the time. Well, she doesn't. I mean, since COVID, she doesn't go into the office hardly ever. She Maybe need two to. or three times a week, and she, that, she, that has not changed for her. But she's yeah. on her way out. Maybe she got the tickets, you know, for the Super Bowl through Jesse Smollett. She well, has a relationship again. with him, and he's friends with Usher, so that now she's on the field. I mean, look at that. Well, again, um, yeah. I mean, I'm you know, with the, I'm sure Clayton Harris will be a continuation of the same. Oh, yeah. uh, upon his election right, uh, he next wants, month. He wants her endorsement. Uh, Keon Thomas. Keon Thomas is a uh, Chicago high school student. He was on pretrial release for several juvenile cases, including aggravated carjacking and gun possession. Of course. Those aren't violent crimes. Right, Governor Pritzker? Uh, well, while he was on pretrial release, the 17-year-old shot and killed a classmate in an Inglewood gas station. Uh, so now he's detained pending trial. Now he's detained. Uh, he's the 33rd person last year, 2023, because that's when this occurred, charged with murder or attempted murder or trying to shoot someone while on felony pretrial release. Uh, again, 33 that represent uh, 17 murders. Uh, two attempted murders of a police, 16 attempted murders, three aggravated battery with a firearm, seven aggravated reckless discharge of a firearm. Uh, total victims, 49. Hmm. Preventable crimes. So you kind of keep telling yourself that's what those are. Not preventable under Prisco's Purge Law. Nope. Mm. Uh, number two, this year, let's uh, fast forward into 2024. Let's catch up. Okay. Tow truck driver opened fire on two competitors over a job. Only to learn that the competitors were armed concealed carry license holders. They have uh, prosecutors now charged the man with two counts of attempted murder. The 33-year-old is recovering from gunshot wounds he received during the altercation. Uh, He was on felony pretrial release at the time of the allegations, making him the second person charged in 2024 with murder, attempted murder, or trying to shoot someone while on felony pretrial release. Number two, there'll be more. You can count on it for uh, more on uh, this topic. Because I, I heard on Mike Scott's newscast a lot of carrying on about uh, from BLM brand about what he's doing to uh, increase the peace on the streets, the usual bilge that we've become accustomed to. Ted Dabrowski joins us, PresidentWirePoints.org. Ted, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning, Dan. Welcome back, Amy. Uh, looking forward, WGN apparently got a note from a listener. WGN tonight is doing a little uh, stop, look, and listen on the impact of the Pritzker purge law to this point. That's going to be really interesting, as uh, our alert listener pointed out. I remember, and he reminded me, 
that WGN was one of the stations that wouldn't run my Pritzker Purge Law television ad, the uh, Lakeview attack. All these stations that are now going to do a little assessment of the impact, and we know some of the impact based on the stories that we were just uh, sharing. But now all of a sudden it's okay to talk about the mayhem on the streets of Chicago. Yeah, it's okay uh, to talk about it, uh, more attention to it, but... uh... You know, let's let's see what they do on their analysis. Uh, they probably won't embrace how big the problem really is. And I think, you know, just covering this key on Thomas that you mentioned, that's just a great example. You know, you've got a kid, aggravated carjacking. That means he had a weapon of some kind, gun possession, right? He he gets out back on the streets, a young kid, sadly, 17-year-old, and then he turns around and shoots a classmate and kills him. Um, this is, I think, the tip. I don't want to say the typical story, but it's a story that's played out over and over again. And to CWB for, for bringing these things to life. Um, you know, as we saw the other day in, in what we reported, the, the jail populations are down, the electronic monitoring is down. So, I, I, you know, what, what can you say? It's, it's, it's obvious what's happening. Um, everybody knows it. The media knows it. Let's see what they report on. But they, they have to continue to hide this stuff in some way. I mean, they're, not, they're obviously reporting on it some, and it's better than, than what happens in reporting at the state level. But... Uh, uh, it, it's out there happening, and, and people know it, people are living it, and yet um, we're still playing this game. Well, I mean, is there any any chance that something might change when the March primaries come? I mean, Kim Fox is not running, but is there, I mean, I know Bob Fioretti, he's a perennial candidate, but he's well, that's the a, only... Well, he's a general election. He's a Republican. I'm sorry, he's a yeah. Republican. Right, I'm sorry. But in the primary, you know, you've got uh, Clayton Harris, I believe is his name. And Clayton he, Harris and yeah. Burke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He wants... He, yeah, yeah. Once well, you know, just I, I listened to some of the debate they had the other day, and it was it was kind of nice to hear. And again, I, I haven't followed her closely enough, but uh, Eileen Burke, um, she um, she said that what she wants to do is detain, 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 detain for murder, detain for you know gun possessions. She she was sounded pretty strong on it, but of course Clayton Harris is the one that has the the backing of Preckwinkle. Uh, I would imagine that that's true if 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 he has the backing of Preckwinkle, which he does then that means he's going to be more status quo and, and um, you know, toe the line, uh, especially on, on, you know, the whole social justice. So uh, probably no changes. And uh, I think we just expect the same in, until people revolt in some way, but uh, we don't have that yet. No, we sure don't. And um, Eileen Burke, I mean, I don't know much about her, but she obviously sees a market position uh, in that primary, but I don't trust her either. I mean, she's, she's slated by the same people. She's, backed by some of the same people that have been all over the place in terms of supporting these awful policymakers. So, I mean, the, you know, don't place too much uh, hope right. in Eileen Burke, who's a product of the machine, being some sort of uh, change agent when it comes to this. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just it's just more of the same, because, as you say, there's no I mean, what, what's even the attention? How many how, I, I'd love to, to see what the name ID of those two candidates is right now. Well, how much attention Cook County residents are actually paying and Chicago residents are actually paying to this Cook County state's attorney's race? It is de minimis, um, yeah, I would Dan, suspect. I would, yeah, I, I totally agree. I, you know, as, I, as I go around and I talk to people, nobody has any clue about this this race. Of course, why uh, would they? They won't know the difference between the two. Uh, yeah, and it should be. It's the most consequential race. You know, we wrote about this you know, three months ago, I think it was, trying to see whether people get inspired by it. And uh, they don't. So despite the crime, despite the problems, uh, people don't really understand how important this role is. Uh, but they know. But they know Kim Fox. They, 
They know in suburban Cook County, oh, Kim, or at least some of the suburban Cook County, north and northwest, oh, Kim Fox is terrible, and Kim Fox is this, and Jesse Smollett this, and Jesse Smollett that, and, and the, the releasing of violent crime. Yeah, you know all that. You probably don't even know she's out the door. You have no idea who the replacements are. You paid no attention. And then you're going to decry the lawlessness on the streets of Chicagoland some more. Uh, it's just it's just so frustrating. I, I'm just, you know, uh, uh, it's, just, it's, 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 it's without point is what it is. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a little bit uh, reminding of uh, just a few a, a year ago when uh, Lightfoot was this, Lightfoot was that, Lightfoot was that. And what did we get in, 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 in her Absolutely. place? Oh, we got Johnson. worse. So. Absolutely. Makes me miss Lightfoot. Here's Harris, though. Here's Harris trying to, you know, get the vote. I am the balance, the bridge, the evolution of what has been going on. And we're going to move forward to ensure that our communities feel safe and that we're um, uh, experiencing and doing or being safe through justice. Do you want Kim Fox's endorsement? I would absolutely appreciate Kim Fox's <laughs> endorse- endorsement. So, yeah, yeah, she right. did such a great job. Yeah. Well, whatever. I mean, the endorsement means nothing. Oh, I uh, we're going to be you know, create safety through justice. He's you know spouting all of the non sequitur silliness and stupid bromides. He'll be fine. He'll be an a- a- adequate replacement. Let's continue the way things are. Of course, protect the status quo. Um, you know, protect the protect the inside. The appearance of change on the outside to protect. The people on the inside. That's the play. It always has been. It always will be um, because that's what people want. So they'll get it. Uh, this study that you did is going over to CPS, which is uh, uh, an incubator for all sorts of uh, pathological and and, uh, uh, and 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 destructive behavior. Um, this this analysis you found about uh, reading and math proficiency levels. Give us an update, as if we're going to yeah, be surprised. So we, right. Well, so we did this report last year where where we found after looking at all that data, we you know we looked at kids that can't read, kids that can't do math. Uh, last year we found a whole bunch of schools in Illinois where not a single kid who was tested um, could do math, and and it, there was uh, like sixty schools, thirty schools where they couldn't read at grade level. And uh, so last week, I think it was, suddenly that old report got a lot of attention. Uh, Elon Musk had uh, engaged with it. Uh, Ramaswamy engaged with it. Uh, Jordan Peterson uh, engaged with it. So it was running around. So we said, well, let's do the update. Um, and, uh, and we did that. So now we found that there's 67 Illinois schools where not a single child tested proficient in math. And in, uh, in reading, it was 32 schools where not a single kid tested proficient in reading. So, um, you know, this is, this is fascinating for, for a lot of reasons. And, and something we added to, to this analysis this year is that despite the fact that no kids can, can, can read or do math, graduation rates on average in these schools was 70%. Of course. So in other words, this kind no, of proves the point we've been making. It doesn't matter if they can read. It doesn't matter if they can do math. Just get them to the system. You know, many of these schools are spending twenty five and thirty and 35000 per kid. It's, again, I'm just repeating myself here. It's, it's a system that's only made for, you know, for it's a work program. They just take care of the kids a little bit and then push them out. Well, what and about I holding suspect... the teachers accountable for pushing them through? I mean, what I, do you mean? I, 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 well, I suspect the teachers' uh, proficiency rating or the teachers' uh, grades are in the 98th or 99th percentile, right? Everything's fine with the teachers. Yeah, you know, they, 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 
the whole this is this is why it's so broken. Um, but yeah, the teachers will get in a lot of these schools are called commendable, which is, uh, you know, deserving praise is, is what it means. It's the second highest rating. So it's the same stuff. It's just another cut at, at how extreme it gets and, and how, um, you know, they can they can get away with it and nobody cares. You know, if we didn't report this stuff, I don't know how we would know it. And, and we, we only got lucky because we were kind of searching for stuff. And, and there it was. We're not supposed to pay attention to that. We're supposed to pay attention to this. Uh, um, Mayor Brenda Johnson has sent Illinois Senate President Donna Harmon. I'm doing my best, you know, newsreader, mindless, mouth-breathing, idiot newsreader on any of the network affiliates in Chicago. Uh, we gave her man Brenda Johnson and Illinois State President Donna Harmon a letter urging him to support the election of only 10 of the 21 school board seats this November. That's the mayor's plan. Ted Dabrowski, 10 of 21, should be elected, so he'll elect 10 and he'll appoint the other 11. What say you? Well, yeah. You know, so, the, so the big news was back in, in Lightfoot's days that they wanted to get the uh, school board members have twenty one school board members elected by the people. Uh, but things changed when by Brandon Johnson got control of the CTU of the mayor, by the mayor got mayorship because suddenly you know the CTU has control of the board now by by the virtue of having Brandon Johnson picking uh, board members. So now suddenly they don't want to do the races they're going to end up i think probably doing uh 10 of the 21 to to be elected by the people uh but um pardon my peter pardon my peter griffin but who the hell cares if they're elected or appointed it matters not nothing yeah it won't it won't make a difference it'll be the same you know what kind of show so it it doesn't really matter and and the unions will control the votes anyway so yeah Right, but th- but but this is what we're going to talk about. Oh, uh, ten versus twenty-one, and there's a big row, and you're going to the 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 debate will be you know between one phony good government good government group. David Greasing will come in from BGA and say, "Hey, wait a second, there should be all of them elected." Oh, it's, uh, we, uh, we'll have this stupid conversation for stupid people that continue to make stupid decisions because they don't have enough self-respect to pay any attention, to connect any dots, to think for themselves. That's the that's the sum total of it as far as I'm concerned. I mean, the the adults in the system in Cook County and I'm talking about in the suburbs. I mean, they are uh, just as guilty as the Chicago Teachers Union for what's happening at those schools, for what's happening. These these phony debates they're just they're as bad as the least capable, competent teacher or even grade school student in CPS. They're all children. The entirety of Cook County is nothing but children, except people who listen to this show, of course. Uh, Ted Dabrowski, president of WirePoints, wirepoints.org. Thanks for uh, joining us as always, Ted. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Amy. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's morning answer. Morning answer on AM 560. The answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Boy, that's a Axios piece on uh, the infighting in the Biden administration over the border was something to read. How Biden botched the border over at Axios. And, you know, Axios is a house organ for the Democrat Socialist Party. So they probably do have some of this actually right. They've got friends through the throughout the administration, to be sure. Some of the highlights. 
Uh, Biden exploded with rage at his team aboard Air Force One on the way to the border last year about how things were going. Susan Rice called HHS Secretary uh, Xavier Becerra a bitch ass and an oh. idiot. Oh, hello. <laughs> I like that. Uh, Reparation H, a VP there, Kamala, um, she said uh, her responsibilities began and ended with the root causes in the Northern Triangle countries. And um, a former Biden administration official saying Harris has been at best ineffective. Oh, really? Uh, Homeland Security Advisor Liz Sherwood Randall displayed an experience asking for a memo explaining the difference between refugees and asylum seekers. That's good to know. Uh, the White House generally didn't want to talk publicly about immigration or the border for much of Biden's first three years, feeling it would draw attention to a political vulnerability. Right. If we just ignore it, it'll go away. Publicly, the White House also downplayed jumps in illegal border crossings as normal ebbs and flows, even as some internally pushed to acknowledge that the problem was significant. Right. Uh, it was no big deal. We have a situation down there, ebbs and flows. Now it's a full-blown crisis, and we've done everything we can. And it's not our responsibility, as Ali Mayorkas, facing his second impeachment vote, said on Meet the Press over the weekend, not our responsibility. It's been broken for a long time. Congress failed to act. Not my fault. Okay, sure. Good luck with that. For more on uh, this and uh, other GOP-related matters. We're pleased to be joined again by former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, now the president of the Young America's Foundation. Governor Walker, thanks for joining us, as always. Appreciate it. Good morning. Yeah, it's an invasion. <laughs> he doesn't get it. It's an invasion at our southern border. Well, I think it's I think it's actually worse than an invasion. I keep uh, offering this distinction in response to that characterization. It's an importation by our federal government. It's purposeful. Yeah. They're the ones sponsoring well, it's an invasion. it. It's why, yeah, it's why I stand with Texas. I stand with Greg Abbott. I think he's 100% right. And uh, people, so many people in the media don't understand what the Supreme Court did. They did not rule against Texas being able to protect themselves and stop uh, invasion, deportation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, They just said that the federal government, until this case worked itself out, could continue to send federal employees in to cut down the fencing and barbed wire that the state of Texas is putting up, which, of course, is counterintuitive. You're actually trying to solve the problem, and instead our federal tax dollars are going to counter the one elected official who's actually trying to do something about it, and that's the governor of Texas. It is absolutely insane, but it, it's part of a – not only part of the, the, the federal government doing this, but I worry it's part of uh, what China is trying to do to take us on without even firing a shot. You know, put fentanyl into America, see all these kids overdose, do all these other crazy things that undermine this country without even uh, issuing a military attack. It's unfortunately, uh, I think, part of a larger plan. Well, Governor Walker, what is the larger plan? I mean, are you saying that Biden has let these millions of people come in over the last three years to maybe build up the Democratic base? Well, it's it's a combination that I think that's certainly where many on the left presumably like to see things at. I also think it's a problem they're they're being an unnecessary ally. Uh, Peter Schweitzer's got a book coming out at the end of this month. He's the one that did Red Handed uh, two few years ago. He did Clinton Cash. I believe he's going to document uh, very specifically after extensive research the involvement of the Chinese Communist Party along the border and the impact that that's happening. And again, if if your goal, if you're Xi Jinping, if you've got a long, long game, a long view 
uh, to, to undermine America. He knows he can't compete against our military strength, at least at this moment. Uh, but they can certainly undermine us, not just at the border, but with TikTok, with all these other things going on. Uh, it is clear that there's a concerted effort against the United States. And at best, Joe Biden's a useful idiot in that regard. So um, we've got some uh, fissures in the GOP ranks, too. We had uh, the Senate, uh, thanks to 19 Republicans, move uh, $95 billion foreign aid package, Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, Gaza, Ukraine again, uh, out of the Senate today. It's DOA in the House, according to Speaker Mike Johnson. Um, So there's that going on. And uh, then there's a shakeup at the RNC with... um, uh, North Carolina chairman, GOP chairman, I guess Michael Watley is going to take over. Uh, Michael, wasn't he Lord of the Dance? Oh, no, that was Michael Flatley. But it would be interesting to have Michael Flatley be the RNC chairman. Anyway, uh, RNC chairman Michael Watley from North Carolina and uh, Laura Trump as sort of co-chairman. Uh, is that the uh, is that what you understand is going to be the deal? And what if it's if so, what do you how do you assess it? Uh, absolutely, that's exactly what's going to happen. Wally's only uh, been involved the last couple of years. He was in the private sector before all this. I-, I think he gets it. I think he understands. I think it's part of the reason why Laura Trump's going to be the coach here. Uh, they've got to step up and listen to the base. They've got to push back. They can't be a part of the D.C. establishment. Uh, and that they've got to make the case that they're focused on winning this presidential election. They're going to put their resources and keep battleground states like mine in Wisconsin. They're going to fight for specific competitive House seats, and they're only going to compete in states where they can win the United States Senate race. So I think they're going to be smart and prudent, but the left has got a ton more money, and it's going to take a massive effort to get back up on track. Do you think they'll be good at attracting younger voters and attracting them to the Republican Party? Well, yeah, the, the, I think the, with young people, you know, the work I do at Young America's Foundation, we're not a campaign organization. Uh, but we work directly with students on campus and schools, even in middle school now. And what we're seeing is there's an opening out there that young people get it, that the economy is an absolute train wreck. It's a dumpster fire, and they blame Joe Biden. We've just got to make sure that they understand that conservatives have a better plan, a better approach, that long-term they're better off with us. If we just make some inroads with the 18-, 29-year-old voting crowd, uh, we can win in places like Wisconsin and elsewhere across the country. And I, I think Michael... Uh, and the rest of the new team will get that. But they also got to show they got to make steps to act on voter integrity now. They can't whine about it afterwards. They've got to be in court in states like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, others across the country, in court now to force the court, to force these elected officials to actually follow the laws. The problem in 2020 wasn't that the laws were bad. The problem was that too many of these big city election officials didn't follow the law. Right. So it's a matter of uh, now, you know, at this stage, it would be making sure that uh, the voter rolls uh, are accurate and that they've abided their responsibilities to clean them after the last cycle and then preparing for, uh, you know, early voting uh, as it starts, you know, uh, past Labor Day in, in um, well, in every state, but in just, you know, the proximity to the election differs. But but, you know, having a program ready to go and any and and monitoring going on in real time over that early voting period. So if there is anything that is out of the ordinary or suspect, then they're in court straight away to deal with it, you know, in real time. 
Well, exactly. And I think there's tons of patriots across America who are willing to help out, not only in their own states, but as you guys know, I had a ton of people, for example, from Illinois come up when I was in a recall because they knew what was at stake yeah, right. uh, in that recall election. I think the RNC has got to be on point saying if you're in a state uh, where maybe you're not going to win statewide for, for, for the Republican nomination, or not nomination, but you're not gonna, Trump's going to be the nominee, let's just be clear. If you're, not, if you're not a state that Trump can win or you're not a state where you've got a U.S. Senate race we can win, uh, then either target House seats that are competitive in your state or send your volunteers to other states, again, like Wisconsin, where it actually will matter uh, in terms of who the next president is. We need state and national party leaders willing to do that instead of this kind of, you know, shotgun approach where everything goes. No target. We got a handful of states, five to six states that will elect the next president, put our time, our resources, our volunteers there. And then we've got a handful of House seats that will determine whether or not Republicans keep the House majority. Focus your attention on that. And if we're lucky, along the way, we pick up the U.S. Senate. But it's got to be a targeted effort. And I think we've got to show uh, the base that this national party, the RNC, has actually got a plan, and I hope that's what Michael does. I think he's capable of doing it. He did that in North Carolina. He really involved and energized the, the base in that state, and they had some massive turnarounds with their state Supreme Court. I hope the same thing's true nationally. And well, you believe, and, oh, sorry, go and, on. And, and uh, um, the RNC national committeeman, uh, Republican national committeeman for Illinois, Richard Porter, who you know, has said uh, he made a good observation, too, that uh, Lara Trump's star power will help with fundraising. And as a spokesperson, she's good spoke. She, you know, she's good on her feet. She's good on TV. And obviously, there's some star power to try to make up that deficit you were talking about in terms of Dem cash versus GOP cash. Right. you got to motivate people that it makes a difference. I think right now there's a lot of people, right or wrong, and it's a tough job, uh, feel like the RNC isn't listening to them, isn't doing the things that they want. I think the new leadership, particularly with Laura, they'll realize the connection to the presidential campaign. I think they'll step up. But there's a lot of work that's got to be done. They also need to step I, I wrote this in the Washington Times last week, what I thought the new chair needed to do. And a part of it as well is reaching out to non-traditional voters. Donald Trump did a phenomenal job reaching out to black and Hispanic voters. We need to step it up with younger voters. I think there's an opportunity, again, with the economy and with the border. These are issues that people of all ages care about, uh, but we've got to have a compelling message. They're ready to move away uh, from Joe Biden. They, they realize that Joe Biden is a train wreck. They realize that he's not competent. They realize that he's incapable of leading the country. Now we just got to show them that conservatives have a better approach going forward. Uh, so um, the survey that you did or that Young America's Foundation did um, that finds by almost two to one college students said uh, Biden is not fit to be president. You know, if that's the case and we know what the numbers are nationally, the more like 75 to 85 percent, um, then should the Republicans stop talking about it? And uh, hey, if uh, Joe Biden says he's mentally fit, that's uh, up to uh, People to decide. People can decide for themselves. We're not talking about it anymore. We're talking about uh, you know the interests of of the people that we're running to serve, uh, and that has nothing to do with Joe Biden or his mental fitness. That's up to the people to decide. So let's leave it there. And if it's so manifestly obvious, which it is, then why continue to beat that drum? Yeah, I, I think there's two things that conservatives we need to be talking about. One that that Joe Biden and everybody else just has bad ideas. That it's not, this is not just because of his age, it's not just because of his inability to be competent. 
this is he's always had bad ideas even 40 years ago when he when he was first running for president uh, at the end of the Reagan administration uh, he's got bad ideas liberal hasn't had bad ideas we don't want any more bad ideas and I think um, that's the sort of thing that uh, that resonates then we have to contrast that with well so what are our ideas how do how do we make life better we've got a compelling case we've shown that it worked it worked under Reagan it worked under um, Donald Trump's first term when he went out and uh, you know aggressively uh, cut taxes reined in the federal government um, Part of the problem why inflation, one of the driving forces for why inflation is so high, is, of course, because federal spending is just out of control. Uh, we need to get it under control, and that should be part of what Republicans are talking about. Scott Walker, president and CEO of Young America's Foundation, former governor of Wisconsin, of course, and presidential candidate as well. Governor Walker, thanks as always. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Great to be with you. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I'm a bit perplexed. Uh, the big guy, Mr. Ten Percent, uh, President Biden, did a joint uh, presser with uh, King Abdullah II from Jordan. Yeah, talking <laughs> about uh, the situation in the Middle East and Gaza. This is uh, after he uh, said in that presser on Thursday night that uh, Bibi Netanyahu's response to the Hamas terrorist attack of October 7th is over the top. He added this. The past four months, as the war has raged, the Palestinian people have also suffered unimaginable pain and loss. Too many, too many of the over 27,000 Palestinians killed in this conflict have been innocent civilians and children, including thousands of children. And hundreds of thousands have no access to food, water, or other basic services. Many families have lost not just one, but many relatives. I cannot mourn for them, even bury them, because it's not safe to do so. It's heartbreaking. Uh huh. Um, so then, um, given that, yeah. what, what, why would you be demanding eleven billion dollars in aid to Israel? He's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Well, and and then we'll throw a couple billion to. Uh, to Hamas, I mean, they'll say the residents of Gaza, but it goes to United Nations Relief and Works Agency, which basically operates as some sort of half-assed front group for Hamas. What tunnel below our HQ? Where, where did this come from? Fourteen people have to be fired. Twelve or fourteen people have to be fired from that agency because they were active participants in the plotting and providing of material support for the terrorist attack. Uh, this is this is what has, I think, regular Americans perplexed if they've read into this at all. It's sort of the same thing that we talked about with Ukraine and Russia. Uh, we need another 60 billion to Ukraine. And we also need to continue to cripple our domestic energy sector so that we can enrich the Russians and the Iranians. Huh? What? Which side are we on? Are, are we even on our own side? It's hard to keep track. For more on this, Fred Flights joins us, vice chair of the America First Policy Institute uh, Center for American Security. He previously served as 
National Security Council Chief of Staff, a CIA analyst, and a House Intel Committee staff member. Fred, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Great to be here. Yeah, so, um, right, the the, the, um, jawboning of BB by Biden... But yet, if you don't fund, if you don't vote for this ninety-five billion, that's mainly for Ukraine, and then second place is Israel, and on down the line. Then um, uh, you're a Putin stooge. You're uh, uh, letting Gazan suffer. You're not supporting the Israeli attempt to eradicate Hamas. You're not doing a lot of things that are all going to get fixed with ninety-five billion dollars. Yeah, I, th- I think you have it right. Uh, Netanyahu has made it clear that if the Israeli Defense Forces are not able to move into the Rafa area and to destroy the, the final four Hamas battalions, people who are saying they should call this off are basically calling for Israel to lose the war. This is essential to the war. Israel is going to make provisions uh, to move people out of the way. And uh, I know the war is horrible. Israel didn't start this war, but Israel is going to stop it. People forget the genocidal attacks on Israeli citizens on October 7th, the fact that Hamas is still holding hostages. And, I mean, we know what's going on with Biden. We know that his progressive left is furious about the war. This is hurting Biden badly in the polls. And the the Democratic Party wants this war over immediately because if it isn't over immediately, they know they're going to lose the presidential election to Donald Trump. Well, and and so so then uh, what I mean, the House Republicans just on this this uh, foreign aid package, this is being hotly debated. And there's obviously um, schisms within the GOP ranks per the 19 senators who voted out of the Senate, helped voted out of the Senate. So. The House Republicans, Speaker Johnson has said it's DOA. What should their posture be? Well, I, I mean, House Republicans are saying that there has to be a, 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 a decent bill on the border. The last bill was not a good bill. I know there's some Democrats, some of the media who said that it, it, it was. And uh, Biden is getting away with being able to keep the border open through this bill. That's why House Republicans aren't, gonna, aren't for it. They want a serious uh, bill, serious language protecting the border. That means ending amnesty, returning uh, to uh, remain in Mexico, and other provisions uh, to take care of this border uh, influx of illegal migrants. But we also know that Biden could close the border now. Uh, I mean, the legislation might be a cover for him, but he's not going to close the border uh, just because legislation passes. It has to be legislation with real teeth. The um, um, just this this whole sort of concept of of and this Katie McFarlane and others have really been beating this drum. You know, we can cripple our enemies, Russia, Venezuela, Iran, by just focusing on uh, the investment and development of our own domestic energy, uh, our own sources of domestic energy. And it turns out um, that also is uh, relevant with respect to rare earth minerals, which we spend a lot of time talking about and thinking about during covid oh my gosh uh, the uh, the 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 lack of a supply of chips because china has all the rare earth minerals and we need to decouple from china and be more independent so we're not beholden to them and so on and so forth and then uh, just uh, last week the us could sur- could soon surpass china as the world leader in rare earth minerals after more than 2.34 billion metric tons were discovered in wyoming that deposit uh, far outpaces what China has in terms of the, the aggregate amount. So, I mean, 
It's like we have all of the wherewithal to be independent rather than to be an underwriter of our enemies, and yet we don't do it. There's not a lot of discussion about this. I haven't even seen that much coverage of this discovery in, in Wyoming. What gives? Uh, Casey's a friend, and she's absolutely right that the way to to beat our uh, various enemies is to develop rare in- minerals and and to drill baby drill. But the reality is that's not going to happen before January 2025, and only if there's a, a Republican president. The Biden administration is not going to step up domestic energy production. It's not going to go against the environmentalists and get these minerals out of the ground. It's a great idea and concept. We should be talking about it. But uh, this administration is not interested in doing the things that are necessary to fix our economy and to fix our energy uh, consumption. Your uh, take on the um, Robert Hur report, and particularly this has been an underreported piece of it. I think you started to get into it a bit in um, the piece I read over at Newsmax. Um, but uh, Margot Cleveland had a piece in The Federalist as well, federalist.com. Uh, you know, um, I know everybody's focused on his on Biden's mental fitness or lack thereof for obvious reasons. But if you actually go back and look at the indices in the report, it turns out a lot of the documents that were ostensibly illegally in his possession um, had to do with Ukraine. And so now we have another angle in to the Biden incorporated operation and his material support of Hunter's overseas ventures. I, I think that's a good point. I, I, I say at the outset that if I had done a small portion of what Biden did, I had, had classified high-level clearances for a long time, I would have lost my clearances, I would have had high legal bills, I would have been fined, I may have went to jail. But if your name is Biden or Clinton, there are different rules. If you take classified documents home with you, remember there were classified documents on Hillary Clinton's home server. Uh, I think it's disturbing to see what documents were brought to Biden's home and office. And I don't think this was done deliberately. I know that's what Biden claimed. He said that the documents were in locked cabinets in his house. No, they weren't. Read the report. There's documents in drawers. There's documents in a deteriorating box in the garage. And some of them were on Ukraine. And we know that Hunter Biden had access uh, to his father's home. Did he look at these documents? Were they there for him? We just don't know. I mean, do you think it's just another example of how he's compromised by Ukraine? You know, I haven't been one to say that Biden's been compromised. I, 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 I'm as a CIA analyst who's seen my agency wrong so many times. I, I'm, mm. I'm not making that jump. I'm prepared to argue about it. I think that this is an incredibly incompetent president who's been incompetent about national security his whole life. Bob, Bob, Bob Gates wrote about that. In 2011, that Biden was wrong about national security for 40 years, and that's when Biden was a young man. So whether Biden's been compromised by China or Ukraine, I think we need to talk about that. But at a minimum, this is a man who made climate change a top national security concern. And I tell you, the Chinese were just delighted with that. They're happy that we send uh, representatives to China to talk about that rather than – the COVID virus or, or, or Taiwan or, or the South China Sea. Um, you're talking about your former agency, I'm on the, the, the CIA specifically, um, and this is sort of the intelligence apparatus generally, which includes but not as limited to the CIA. It was interesting, uh, Tucker Carlson, after his interview with Putin, I mean, pre his interview with Putin in the preview to it, and then post in this conference in Dubai that he's at, this sit-down he gave, talked about how 
uh, here we go again with uh, the Obama administration's surveilling uh, journalists or talk show hosts, whatever, um, improperly trying to interfere in um, expressions of freedom of the press, which I believe is still enshrined in the First Amendment. And Carlson said he'd been trying to get this interview with Putin for three years, and the Biden administration had uh, been monitoring his emails, had been intercepting, had been had had done enough that it was came to the attention of the Russians and it spooked them such that it took him three years to get this interview with Putin. And, and when he discovered and it was confirmed that they had been meddling with his communications, you know, he sort of redoubled the efforts to get the interview because of obvious reasons. I mean, just just this whole conversation again with, from Eric Holder and James Rosen to the Twitter files to Tucker Carlson to the Cyber Threat Intelligence League that we're hearing about. I mean, the intelligence apparatus within the federal government and how central this should be to the conversation in the run up to November. I wrote three articles for the Federalists. I think it was last year on how an NSA whistleblower revealed that NSA was spying on Tucker Carlson. It's not up for debate. They were clearly doing this. And uh, I think it had to do with the Biden administration uh, worried about Tucker Carlson's com- communications with Russia, which as a private citizen, he's allowed to do. Uh, but, you know, as a journalist, it's a different matter. Uh, and, you know, there'll never be any accountability for this. There'll never be any investigations. But go to thefederals.com, look up Fred Flights, and you'll find at least three articles where I go over this. And, 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 and the, you know, these other uh, moving parts where we're getting new information on a regular basis from the investigative work of Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger and others. These cutouts like NewsGuard, um, you know, the, the trying to get ahead of the Missouri v. Biden decision that's coming down where, the, you know, per the Twitter files where the government was, you know, Im- impressing upon social media companies what they wanted them to do in terms of censoring this person and deleting this comment and so forth. And now they're just going to outsource it to a bunch of intel, former intel people like G- General Hayden, who don't need any instruction from the federal government. They know what to do. And so we, we still have this huge problem of um the the big tech collaboration with the intel community to suppress unpopular within those circles unpopular viewpoints our intelligence agencies really have to be cleaned out we have to have a new president to put in decisive leadership to to restore them to the role that they're supposed to play in promoting our national security not meddling in domestic politics and i mean the whole uh workforce has to understand what the culture has to be. Uh, the culture isn't resistance. It's not helping Democrats and hurting Republican presidents. I was a CIA analyst for 19 years, and I'm fr- afraid that's what I saw. And it's got, it got much worse starting with the Obama administration. Unfortunately, the Trump administration did not clean our, out our intelligence agencies. Um, I think if Trump is reelected, there will be some major house cleanings. Yeah, hopefully a lesson learned. Fred Flights, vice chair of the America First Policy Institute Center for American Security, previously served as National Security Council chief of staff, also a CIA analyst and a House Intelligence Committee staff member. Fred, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Great to be here. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank.
Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.